Hello, we are here with our fourth episode of Once Upon a Time series in season three of Is Pharmacology Difficult podcast. So, definitely, this is the last episode. As far as all the details, elaborations, explanations are concerned, but we're gonna have a special episode summing up all the things in the four episodes together. A kind of a podcast summary, which will be on 30th of September live on my channel. Don't miss the celebration of the International Podcast Day on my channel with my name. I'm giving the link of the live stream episode in the episode show notes. So better check them out and don't forget to join me live on 30th of September while we celebrate together the International podcast day so let's get started welcome all to this pharmacology difficult podcast i'm your host dr radhika vijay mbbs md pharmacology and this is the audio hub to get the best simplified basic tips strategies methods and lots of ideas to learn better understand better and make your concepts crystal clear if you really find and if there's a question hovering in your minds is pharmacology difficult Lend me your ears for a while and let in the magic of knowledge. I'm sure you all have heard about curare, the arrow poisons. Now, the people of Indian origin residing near the Amazon and the Oraihoko rivers, they have used it extensively for animal hunting purposes and we are the process of paralyzing the skeletal muscles, etc. The purpose of hunting was accomplished. And the basic idea behind the hunting was food. In the late 16th century, European invasion occurred for scientific study purposes. And at that particular time, the samples of curare, they were shared in Europe. Now, one of the scientists, von Humboldt, in the early 1800s, he hallmarked the Curare research projects. And these research projects, they were actually very seriously pursued later on. Now, it's very important and interesting to know the plant source of Curare in eastern Amazonia region was Trichnos species of plants. The main ingredient that was found was the quaternary neuromuscular blocking agent. I'm talking about the Strychnos species plants in the eastern Amazonia region. They contain mainly the quaternary neuromuscular blocking agent. And on the contrary, the species of the plants from the regions like Asia, Africa, Australia, they contain tertiary neuromuscular blocking agent so there's a difference in the chemical structure when the region changes then this plant species exhibits changes in the chemical structure of the main ingredient so that's a very interesting thing to note further later in mid 1900s a very significant scientist claude bernard yes he worked very hard for the cause of this compound, curare. What did he do? Well, let's get to know. He identified the site of action of curare at or near the neuromuscular junction. Then another scientist, 
Gill or Jill, G-I-L-L, whatever you call. He thoroughly studied the methods of the preparation of curare and he carried a good enough amount of curare to United States. He carried with himself while he was traveling. And what did he do there for further research projects in chemical and pharmacology field? So he traveled by carrying a lot of curare with himself and there in US where he took this whole amount of curare, he did a lot of studies, research projects on chemical and pharmacology field. Now presently in today's era, beginning from early 1900s, curare has found extensive and worthwhile use. I'm sure you might be knowing some of the important therapeutic uses of curare. These days, it's very extensively used therapeutically in the treatment of tetanus, spastic disorders, etc. Now, one of the scientists, King, K-I-N-G, in the early 1900s, he worked very hard to establish the chemical structure of tubocurarine, while in early 1940s, two more scientists, Griffith and Johnson, they worked hard in the clinical trials involving the curare. And these clinical trials, they were using curare therapeutically in the muscle relaxation in general anesthesia. So that was a quite good enough history of curare and many important significant scientist contribution. The most important significant contribution was of Sir Claude Bernard. So why not get to know a little more about Sir Claude Bernard? Claude Bernard was a French physiologist. He was one of the greatest of all the men in the science field. He originated the term milieu interior. That's a French term. I don't know whether I'm pronouncing it rightly, though I know a lot of French pronunciation. But this one is quite tricky. It states milieu interior. And this milieu interior, it was associated with the concept of homeostasis. But mind it, you should know that the term homeostasis was coined by Sir Walter Cannon and not Claude Bernard. So homeostasis, the term coined by Walter Cannon was associated with the concept of Claude Bernard, namely milieu interior. What next? Claude Bernard significantly worked on the function of the pancreas and second most importantly he worked on the glycogenic function of the liver. The third important significant works of his were the discovery of the vasomotor system. Next we know him so well today because of the study of the physiological action of the poisons. Especially, his attention was all on the curare and carbon monoxide gas. He gave a famous discourse on the scientific method and introduction to the study of experimental medicine. So he has a lot of things in his credit box and he's a very well-known person in the field of pharmacology and physiology and he was from French origin. With his descriptions, we wind up the curare theory Next, let's talk about adrenergic agonists and antagonist historical aspect. We have many new and wonderful scientists here also. Oliver and Schaffer, they first 
and foremostly demonstrated the stimulating and the pressure effect of extracts from the adrenal gland and this was all done in the later 1800s you understand the pressure effect pressure effect means the one which enhances the blood pressure so this discovery and demonstration was done by the two scientists namely oliver and sheffer now this was actually not a full thing it was a mere demonstration what next further sir john jacob abel and that is abbreviated as sir j j abel in 1899 he coined the term epinephrine for the active moiety you understand the active moiety the pressure agent this active moiety was initially observed by oliver and sheffer now there's a very interesting story of the isolation of the epinephrine by sir john jacob abel and i'm going to tell you when i'm going to give you an account of sir john jacob abel so why delay let's get to know about sir john jacob abel sir john jacob abel was an american biochemist and pharmacologist he has done a lot of things in pharmacology you might be really surprised to know he established the pharmacology department at john hopkins university the school of medicine in 1893 there he was one of the greatest and initially the only professor of pharmacology in the whole of america later on there were many more then he also found many scientific journals like the journal of biological chemistry and the journal of pharmacology and experimental therapeutics now from his early career growing times he actually wonderfully isolated the purest form of hormones he was very much into endocrinology his greatest achievement was and not only achievement actually contribution was also this one only isolation of epinephrine from the adrenal medulla the one i just mentioned now let's get into the story part of it it's very interesting he succeeded in isolating the monobenzoyl derivative he did not he was not able to isolate the purest form but he was able to isolate the monobenzoyl derivative then takamine takamine was a japanese chemist so sir takamine he visited abel's lab and there takamine was able and to successfully isolate the neutral base of epinephrine how did this happen and why wasn't sir john jacob able he was capable of doing so let's get to those few details which are actually very interesting so takamine what did he do he added ammonium to the concentrated solution the solution was highly concentrated that you should know and the method in which able actually failed why because able used a solution of lower concentration see the power of the concentration matters so takamine he not only isolated the neutral base of epinephrine what else did he do he termed the compound as adrenaline What do you mean by adrenaline? Well, adrenaline stands for pure stable crystalline active component, the one he isolated. Before that, Sir John Jacob Abel, he coined the term epinephrine, not adrenaline. 
So this is a very interesting story of Sir John Jacob Abel along with his efforts with his one of the friends Japanese chemist Takami. Now what else and what next? Sir Henry Dale, you know Sir Henry Dale. I've talked a lot about him in my previous episodes also. So he was involved here also. He did a lot many works. So he performed many experiment series on synthetic synthetic on synthetic amine compounds which were closely related to epinephrine. Now all these synthetic compounds they were called as sympathomimetics by Barger and Dale. They were the two scientists working together in the early 1900s. And one of the monumental work of Dale experiment is the vasomotor reversal of Dale related to adrenaline. And that you all might have studied and I might have also told the details about vasomotor reversal of Dale in one of the theory episodes which was centered around the adrenaline. So I'm not going to describe it here. What else next? Further, the flight and the fight response. You remember the flight and the fight response of the body in response to the adrenaline administration? Now this flight and the fight response of the human body it was nicely elaborated by two scientists Cannon and Rosenblatt. All these efforts were certainly not in vain. Why because the norepinephrine it was discovered and found and identified as a sympathetic neurotransmitter and while all these efforts were being undertaken. So while all these efforts were being undertaken there was a discovery recognition identification of norepinephrine as sympathetic neurotransmitter now next in the mid 20th century the two types of receptors alpha and beta receptors they were hypothetized and studied upon by another scientist very significant sir alquist Alquist propounded this theory it was readily accepted this theory and this concept it spread like fire it was thoroughly worked upon by others too now this was actually a very great significant strong basis for the synthesis and evaluation of beta blockers now before we turn our story towards the beta blockers and another significant scientist we need to talk about Sir Raymond Perry Alquist. Sir Raymond Perry Alquist was an American pharmacist and pharmacologist in 1948. His wonderful publication that was a seminal publication which actually divided the adrenergic receptors into alpha and beta subtypes. Now this formed the great explanatory basis of the activity of many medicines and drugs of that time. and further also it formed the basis for the future novel drugs and where i'm pointing to you know all let me point this statement towards the explanation of activity of the future new drugs like the development of the beta blockers beta blockers are very significant therapy to treat the cardiac diseases especially to lower down the blood pressure Another significant discovery of Alquist was the discovery of the compound tolazolene. The tolazolene compound was actually altogether very strange to the chemical nature of adrenaline and noradrenaline. All these together helped him to observe and establish the concept of 
a particular theory that is alpha adrenoceptors they increase the peristalsis while beta adrenoceptors decrease the peristalsis not awarded by many significant awards but he was awarded by one of the famous lasker awards in 1976 so that's all the alquist tale let's move on further and turn our paths towards the beta blocker story now the first beta selective agent discovered was dichloroisoproteranol it was in fact a partial agonist sir james black he was working for all these efforts and later on with his talented colleagues he actually made more of beta blockers all around 1950s as a result came into being the development of propranolol the most prototype and significant of all the beta blockers the purification of alpha and beta receptors it was done quite late and i told you with the efforts of alquist and all they were identified as unique distinct entities so what do you expect let's talk about sir james black sir james white black he was a scottish physician and pharmacologist he shared nobel prize for medicine in 1988 with sir g b elion and g h hitchings He had developed great strategies for rational drug designing and this was also useful and led to the development of propranolol and cimetidine. In his veterinary physiology department in the University of Glasgow, he studied effects of adrenaline on the human heart. In 1958, he worked for ICI Pharmaceuticals. There he developed propranolol. Propranolol is a beta blocker. Later he developed cimetidine which is actually a an H2 receptor antagonist. I told you he was awarded Nobel prize along with two of his colleagues. He was also awarded in 1994 the Ellison Cliff medal from the Royal Society of Medicine. and he was awarded royal medal in 2004 from the royal society so these were all wonderful stories of so many great scientists today we covered a lot details of many of the discoveries developments and their contributors and the famous names associated with all these things they are actually the basis and the most interesting part of studying the history See, history the word itself has story in it. So without a story nothing is actually interesting and intriguing. No matter its science, but it has a story. That is why it becomes the history. I hope you all like this series of once upon a time series which I tried to do in an order to curate it for the celebration of international podcast day to make something special in september month and tomorrow we are going live with summing up all these things together making a little more contribution efforts and addition to mark the ending of this season 3 the once upon a time series that actually points towards the history of pharmacology especially the neurohumoral transmission i've not covered all the history but yes i've covered major discoveries scientists 
and contributions in the neurohumoral transmission. In about total and total four and five episodes. So that's a wonderful thing. I hope you like this effort. Do let me know about it. For all the updates and latest episodes of my podcast, please visit www.pharmacologydifficult.com where you can also sign up for a free monthly e-newsletter of mine. It actually contains a lot of updates about medical sciences, drug information updates and my podcast updates also. You can follow me on different social media handles like Twitter, Insta, Facebook and LinkedIn. They all are with the same name is Pharmacology Difficult. If you're listening for the first time, do subscribe and follow whatever platform you are consuming this episode. Stay tuned. Do rate and review on iTunes Apple Podcast. Stay safe, stay happy, stay enlightened. Thank you.